Welcome back to Cloud and Fire, Season 1, Episode 7. Today's episode is called Entering the Gates of a Holy City. I am your host, Jamie Crumley. On today's episode, if you are listening to the episodes in order, you will note that we are now in the midst of a season of the church year that Christians call Holy Week. Holy Week is that time between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, during which we remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us. This past Sunday was Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. As he entered the city, people gathered around, crying out to him, save us now. And like them, we are those who are in need of salvation. We are those who are afraid. We are those who are looking for hope of new life. And indeed, that is what Jesus promises. Jesus was born, lived a human life, died, conquered sin, death, and the grave, and rose again, according to our Christian beliefs. And so we too recognize that Jesus died for us. Jesus died that we might live. That we might live knowing that we are saved. That we might live knowing that we are loved. And that we might live knowing that there is always hope. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation for today. Listeners, I'd like to start off with a reflection that comes from the Gospel of John chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16 in your hearing. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. Today, our guest is Alan Reynolds. Alan Reynolds is a minister, editor, producer, content developer, and marketing specialist at UMI, which is the Urban Ministries, Inc. He serves as the worship and Christian education co-chair at the University Church, which is a UCC DOC church, which is located in Chicago, Illinois. He and his wife, Brittany, have three daughters, and they live in the Chicago area. Thank you so much, Alan, for joining us today. I am so glad to have you as a guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be part of this ongoing conversation and to be able to share with First Baptist Church in Beverly. Well, thank you so much. So to get started, I just shared this scripture from the Gospel of John, and we see Jesus triumphantly entering into the city. And when you hear this passage, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? So the thing that comes to mind for me most readily is actually right around this time last year, I was in Jerusalem 
uh, I took a trip to Israel and I was able to stay there for about two weeks. I was there from the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, of course, before the pandemic hit. And uh, behind me, you'll notice this is actually the Lion's Gate in Jerusalem. Uh, they call it the Lion's Gate because you may see this little tiny carving of a lion right here and on the other side of me over here. Um, which is actually later, but this might have been the gate that Jesus entered through. It's on the side of the city that's close to the Garden of Gethsemane, that's close to uh, those places. So this might have been the gate. Uh, and that's what comes to mind right away for me. Uh, but just thinking about it as a believer is this, this awesome moment where Jesus is not only entering into Jerusalem where he knows that he's going to die, he knows that he's going to uh, be crucified at the hands of the Roman Empire. He knows that, that he's going to be betrayed. He has all of that, but that the people are celebrating him. And, and just this moment of incredible tension uh, of, of worship and celebration and praise when there is this impending death and destruction and, uh, and tragedy. And that really strikes me about that passage in particular. So first of all, listeners, you're going to have to go to our YouTube channel so that you can see um, for Alan's background behind him and so you can get the full visual of what he's talking about. So Alan, first of all, I wanna hear about your trip. What led you to feel compelled to take that trip and kind of at the perfect time, right before the whole world kind of shut down. So talk to us more about the decision that went into going on that trip. Well, actually, it was a trip as part of my work with Urban Ministries. Uh, we actually were working with another organization that is doing some great work trying to build Bible studies and uh, helps people take trips to Israel, uh, especially young people, college students is really where they focus. And so as part of that product development, as part of that uh, experience and that relationship building, they, they took me on the trip. And um, it, it just so happened, it was, it was a really crazy moment for me because I was actually on a family trip. Uh, we were trying to celebrate the holidays. Of course, I was out of town and had to try to get back uh, to Chicago to get to Israel. And there was actually a snowstorm at the same time. And, and it, was, it was a whole ordeal. And I, to make a long story short, I ended up having to rent a car to drive, to get on a plane in New Jersey, to fly to Israel. Um, and it was an incredible trip. It really was life-changing. Uh, I was there during the uh, tension that the United States had with Iran, which was a scary moment for us. Uh, I was there, as you said, before the pandemic hit. So we had no idea that was coming at that point. Um, but just being able to take in those sites, if you have, have the opportunity to visit Israel, I would, I would encourage you to do it. It is a, uh, a, a life-changing trip, truly. Um, but it was great to be there with college students who were thinking through all these questions of faith, um, to be there with some of their professors who, um, you know, a lot of them were not in religion or not in ministry and, and for them to wrestle with what their faith meant being able to see these places and live through that. But one of the things I encourage people that uh, it, it takes away the simplicity of a lot of it because um, Israel is a really complex place. There is no other place like it on earth where you have thousands of years of history, so many different cultures, so many different uh, viewpoints all together in the same place that is holy for everybody. And uh, it, is, it is a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal trip for me. 
Well, let's talk more about that, all the various ways that we make meaning of spaces. And I think it's something that really is resonating with all of us during this time that we're not able to gather together in places that we find sacred. And one thing that I was talking about on a previous episode, which we'll get to hear um, with Reverend Melanie Jones and Reverend Lisa, Lisa Janes, is we were talking about Alice Walker womanism and this idea that God is found everywhere, not just in our spaces that we've called sacred, but that the sacred is all around us. And what you're telling me is that in Israel, that's just part of the culture, that it feels like the sacred is everywhere. How does that resonate for you at this moment where we're not able to gather together in our churches, where we're not able to share this kind of feeling of sacred time together? Like, what do we learn from Israel? What do we learn from Jesus's triumphant entry during this time? Oh, it's a really great question. And it has been difficult for me. I mean, my church right now, so much of our history is tied to being able to gather together in our worship space. We, our, our congregation is 116 years old. Uh, no, 126, I'm sorry, this year. And um, our, our building has been there since the early 1920s. It's in on the University of Chicago's campus, basically. Um, you can walk right across the street into the quad there at, the U, at U Chicago. Um, and for a lot of our congregants, there are older folks who have family members buried there in the garden, who have um, you know, so many memories that they've had there. And it is difficult to be away from that. Um, but it has encouraged us and encouraged me to not only um, make more space intentionally where I can uh, for prayer, for worship, for devotion, uh, but spaces like this, spaces like my home uh, have become that much more important that I can you know, try to take some time. I have a newborn baby. Uh, she's only eight weeks old today. Um, to take time away from her, away from you know, what's going on in the house and what's happening at work uh, to try to spend some time in the quiet in the night um, and, and then when we do when we do uh, get together virtually as a church uh, to think back on um, times there's hope even yesterday we had bible study and people were talking about missing the potluck but being able to look forward to that um, you know being together and, and sharing in that way again and um, when i think about israel one of the things is that the complexity that drives you to is that everything around you is sacred for so many people but for the people that are living there this is life right so life itself becomes uh on sacred ground right the holy surrounds you um and in some ways it it there's this tremendous sense that everything around you is so sacred you 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 don't want to go certain places there are jerusalem itself is divided into four quadrants and there's a lot of tension there politically and um, with the authorities and there are people coming in and out all the time uh, but at the same time you just live day to day right like they're not stopping and saying oh yeah you know that's the church of the holy sepulcher or, oh yeah you know there's a <laughs> you know they're, they're not doing the oh via de la rosa it's just a street for them um you know even though there's a plaque there hey jesus walked here um and and just reflecting on that and reflecting on this moment for jesus as he enters in it's a sacred moment in a city that's very familiar that the israelites had to go every single year for passover for pentecost for tabernacles to this place and so jesus is continuing that tradition in a special place at a special moment 
in a space where people, again, their lives were surrounded by the holiness of God. And I think that that's something definitely for us to take away in this time that God is with us daily. Well, amen. And I love that image that you painted because being from the DC area, it is always so frustrating when you're just walking around trying to live your life. And then there's a tourist who everything is unfamiliar and everything is incredible to them. And now as I'm thinking more about Israel, I'm trying to put myself in the position of people who actually live there and it's their day-to-day -day life to be there. And they're familiar with the conflict and the tension and the messiness of everyday life. And someone is there like, oh, look at that cool path over there. Oh my gosh, Jesus was here once. So I think what I hear you saying is something about how we can make even the familiar spaces in our life sacred, right? That's something that people always talk about. You know, why don't you become a tourist in your own town? And I think what you're saying is why don't you make the sacred where you are? So what are some practical ways that we can go about doing that? One thing that I know about Alan, he didn't say it in his bio, but Alan and I went to divinity school together. He went to Yale Divinity School with me. And one thing that I know that you were so good at from what I remember is that you were good at turning even the familiar spaces in New Haven, where we went to school, where we would just go eat wherever, you were so good at turning it into this sacred and special space. So as we're all at home and we're worshiping from home or from our cars or from a hotel or wherever we happen to find ourselves any given week when it's time for worship, how can we make the space that we're in sacred? So it's, that's an important thing to do. And the thing that I try to do is to take a moment and center. And sometimes you can't. When you can, it, it's a beautiful time. And then to share, if you have people in your home like me, you got wife, you got daughters, to be able to share that with them. Um, but really, I have come to appreciate during this pandemic just that my worship is to be together with family, right? Or that my worship is to reconnect with church virtually. That sometimes just seeing my comment in a, in a Facebook feed means something to somebody who's part of the congregation uh, for them to know that we're still connected even though we aren't able to see each other and that there is God in that, right? That, um, that we are all interconnected that the life of God flows through us as believers um, and to to honor the Holy Spirit's presence in that way that, um, you know, there's this scripture that gets quoted out of context where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst of them. Um, but like if we could take that and, and use it that, that way that if I can recognize that I'm interconnected with with God because I'm connected with those who I love, those who I share community with, then um, it allows all spaces to be sacred and and um, and and just appreciate it. And for those who have had small children too, I'll say that it looking at the laugh of a baby, right? My daughter is like not even she's just starting to smile really, but like she would smile in her sleep. Um, but to like know that she doesn't care about anything happening in the world. Like she doesn't have any concept of any of that stuff. She only knows, am I being held in love, hungry, you know, or need to be changed or trying to sleep. And it helps me to appreciate life, right? Like that she is pleasing to God just by being. And Jesus makes that point. If we were to come like God as children, right? That uh, if we recognize we're pleasing to God just by being, 
then your beingness becomes holy. You know, having this conversation becomes holy. Being able to do stuff that I don't want to do, right? Changing the diaper or making the bottle, like that becomes a holy act because I'm giving life, right? Like I'm sharing life with those around me. So I, I would, you know, encourage us just to rec recognizing that, you know, and then if you have time to reflect on it, if you have time for that centering moment, it helps you to, to weave those threads together. But don't beat yourself up to that's something that's been important. Like, don't um, feel like you're out of place if you didn't worship the way you used to, that God is still there where you are, because that's the kind of God that we serve. Jesus comes to the people. That's beautiful. And so as we're thinking through this passage, this image of this triumphant entry, I know that you do work at UMI and that you create content and curriculum. What are some ways that you would interpret this scripture um, for curriculum or for content for churches? So I'm pretty, I can't remember the last time I did this lesson and we, we do these so often, but I definitely say one of the things that um, we note here is the tension of that moment of being celebrated, the Hosanna, save us now. That's something that I, I just love the background and context of verses like these, that what the expectation was, was coming to be realized for, for the Jewish people and for Israel as Jesus tries to enter in, that there was a messianic expectation there that God was going to come and save them, right? That's what they're proclaiming, that Hosanna is save us and save us now. There's urgency to it um, in the Hebrew or in Aramaic or Greek, like we get it in our Bible and even English, like we read it. There was an expectation that there is oppression from Rome, that there's mistreatment of people who are low, who are poor, uh, that there is a desire for God to intervene in circumstances and a restlessness waiting for it. Uh, and for those who knew Jesus, they knew his miracles. They knew uh, they had heard about him doing supernatural things. They may have known that he was a prophet. That's the thing that keeps coming up in John. Even after this passage, it says, truly, this is the prophet we have been expecting after he um, raises Lazarus from the dead and all those sorts of things, but they, they were waiting for God to, to reveal God's self. Um, and so I think that idea of expecting, expectation, even as we're thinking through this Lenten season of looking forward to uh, the cross and looking forward to the resurrection and in the midst of the pandemic, looking forward to the end, right? When things will go back to the way they should be uh, is something that was certainly on the minds of the people seeing Jesus enter in. And so they expected Jesus to show up and do certain things. In particular, they expected him to, to overthrow Rome, to bring the kingdom of God in a physical, tangible way. They expected their lives to be made right, for peace to be there, for everyone to have what they needed. Um, and yet we know that Jesus doesn't do it like they expected, that Jesus doesn't come and do what they expected. And um, I think one of the things we're encouraged to do as we study this scripture is to sit in that expectation, knowing that God may not show up the way we expect, but that God will show up, right? And that God will do what God chooses to. And I think that those are points that I love to highlight in, in this scripture. 
that is such a word for this moment, right? That we expect God to show up and do us like, you know, like you said, the Israelites had been waiting for so long, this long awaited Messiah, and they expected him to show up and they expected him to do a very particular thing. And he refused to do that very particular thing that they wanted him to do. And so what do we do when God shows up in all of God's glory and does something that's completely different than what we expected? And I think that's something that's important for us to think about during this time where we are, like you said, we're waiting for the we're waiting for the end of the pandemic. We're waiting to see racism eradicated from our society. We're waiting to see so many isms, right? Like I can't even go through them all right now, but we're we're looking for a more just world. And there's a very particular way that we want that to happen. But what is the actual way that God is going to bring that about? And another question, you know, I know that we would, uh, we, we talked a lot about eschatology when we were in divinity school. What does it look like for us to realize that God is doing that now and that we have to join God in the work of creating the kingdom of God here on earth, rather than just kind of waiting around to see what God will do next, that maybe yeah. the ball's in our court. And so I think that's such a powerful word for us right now. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of something that we learned about in, in Revelation, right? Which is like, that that is the book of apocalypse, right? And it is the book of ex eschatological expectation that, you know, belief in the end times, what is God bringing us towards? But that in the midst of it, it's not a, just about end times, but it's about all times, right? It's an eternal kind of move that's being made by John and a vision that's being revealed. And what we see at the end there that our professor taught us is that that the kingdom of God, even as Jesus gave it, is in the church, right? Like, how can we actualize that already, but not yet? Mm -hmm. um, and if, if we think about defeating the isms, if we think about having the peace, right? And there was a real expectation of peace, of prosperity, of, um, you know, of generativity, of life, you know, abundant life that Jesus tells the disciples that I've come so that you can have life abundantly and that that abundant life is tied to a relationship with me. And that even though it didn't happen the way that they expected, the church became that place, right? That when we do connect with one another, that in the midst of that, at my church, I love to watch us, that we're continuing to wrestle for beloved community you know, across racial lines, across gender barriers in the midst of different classes. And, um, and we can create those spaces where everyone feels life being given to them if we'll, if we'll continue to wrestle and to strive for that. And so little slice of the kingdom as we await the kingdom of God. So I have two more questions for you, and I know you need to get back to to uh, being the father of of your of your daughters and <laughs> being the yeah, husband yeah. of Brittany and whatever else is needed in the house today. Um, but I wanted to ask you. You told me that when you were in Israel, that you got to work with college students. You said that mm -hmm. your church is right across the street from the University of Chicago. Um, one thing that I'm really invested in as a person who also works with college students is 
what kind of world are we helping them to create and how are we interpreting our faith for them? And mm -hmm. so I know so many churches right now are interested in how we interpret our faith for Generation Z and how we help them to become faithful people. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations about how we might start or continue that work that we're doing right now? Sure. I'll say the major one that we're doing at Urban Ministries and even at my church is the importance of, of narrative and of storytelling. Um, the way that I put it, I'm from a tradition. I grew up Black Baptist church where certain things happened a certain way. And, and I also came through a very charismatic um, time in my life with a church where we very much were, you know, high worship, high energy, arts integrated, um, but that we had something called testimony, right? It's a word that's familiar to many of us as Christians, but it means to share a story about Jesus, right? That there is something, there is a story that we're sharing. And I encourage people all the time as we're thinking about passing the faith and sharing our faith and you know, even bringing up the next generation that more than trying to tell people, hey, go study this thing in a world where we have so much information, to be able to show to share hey this thing happened to me this is how i came to faith this is what got me through a tough time you know this is how i connect with god that that's that being able to have a narrative that's tied to our congregations that's tied to um, our families that's tied to how we experience god is so much more meaningful um, and even while I was there in, in Israel, some of the students, were, of course, were really wrestling through things they had that heard, they had seen, um, you know, and trying to reconcile, okay, so what does this mean for how I believe God? And yeah, I could talk through the theology with them. I could talk through, hey, you know, there's different perspectives on these verses, but to be able to share with them, uh, there was one young lady in particular who was saying, you know, well, how is it that I'm supposed to reconcile being black, right? She's a young African American. How how am I recognize my my blackness in relationship with God in a way that doesn't reject that doesn't reject Jesus being crucified and that mean that meaning something to me, right? And there's a lot of theology around that. And I said, well, for me, it's Jesus died so I don't have to, right? That I've seen God's provision for me. That I've seen again and again times where. I, I, you know, I felt my lowest, I felt like I wasn't good enough, but God's grace met me, you know, and sharing those stories of grace, of love, of justice, of hope is so much more meaningful to Generation Z and others. I know you're doing the work, but just continuing to do it in different formats, arts, podcasts, right, doing it in, in new and fresh ways. And so those are the suggestions that I would give. Yeah, and Generation Z, I feel like they come up with suggestions for themselves. If you create a space for them to openly talk about what they want, they will tell you what they want. Mm -hmm. They will tell you, I'm not on Facebook. My grandmother's on Facebook. I'm not. But, you know, they'll, they'll let you know um, where they are and how they wish to find connection. And it's not actually that foreign, right? I think, you know, with each passing generation, we feel so far away from the future generations. But in reality, I think what you said is so true. I think it's so true for so many generations that we want our stories to be heard. We want to feel like the story of faith has something to do with our lives. We want to feel real connection. And so thank you so much for sharing that insight. So I have one more question for you. 
Um, mm -hmm. We're going through times of extraordinary challenge and grief in our country and around the world. Where and how are you experiencing God's steadfast love during this time? So that is a great question and it's a relevant question. And um, for me, it's been in the midst of family. Like last year in the midst of the pandemic, I was really encouraged to focus on my family um, and not just my immediate family, but thinking about my extended family and how we've been impacted. Um, I unfortunately, my wife lost her grandfather at the end of 2019 to what may have been COVID, you know, before it was publicized. And I lost my grandfather in April 2020. Uh, and then just last week, I lost my great aunt, who's like a grandmother to me. And so a lot of grieving and I'm, you know, my story is not unique. Unfortunately, we've lost so many people uh, this year, whether it has been to COVID-19 or to something else, especially elders. Um, and just being able to remember how my great aunt loved me, right? As, as I was preparing to do her services um, last week, the thought that I had was I can't capture her life in five minutes, but I can capture how she made me feel, which is loved. Um, that I can capture how my mom um, makes me feel, that I can reach out to my brother and sister who live you know, out of state and, and, and invest in those connections that I can remember friends who, I, friends who I hadn't talked to in a long time. I can say I honestly talked to more uh, in the midst of the pandemic, just you know, because everybody didn't have the distraction, right? We didn't have all those things and that, that God met me in those relationships. Uh, and one in particular, there was right after my grandfather passed, there was a, a person I used to, to do ministry with. We were working together doing young adult ministry um, at, at a church and uh, he just happened to reach out to me you know, he, I was on his mind and he just reached out. And in that moment, I was like, God sees me. I was having a rough time with the, the, the racial disparity aspects of my grandfather's passing. It was right at the beginning of COVID and he wasn't getting the kind of treatment I thought that he should have been getting. And all those sorts of things were swirling through my mind. And for that friend to reach out and just say, hey, you know, I was thinking about you, what's going on? I was able to share receive prayer, um, and that was God, right? That was God meeting me, reminding me that I was seen, that I was remembered, and that I, I am loved. And so those little kinds of moments, and for, for congregants, it may not be that dramatic. I had so many people in my congregation just getting a, a phone call, getting a text message, you know, um, getting an email, especially ones who were um, in nursing homes or who weren't able to go out uh, it meant so much. And, and that was where God met them in the midst of the pandemic. And so I, I just encourage people again, those treating the, the everydayness as sacred in, in moments of connection with one another. That's, that's where God is showing up with God's steadfast love for me. Thank you so much for sharing about those losses that you experienced. Like you said, it's, it's so devastating and yet not unique. And I think that's the real tragedy of it, that we've almost become desensitized. I think in previous years, if I had heard about someone having that amount of loss, it, it would be really concerning. And now it's like, we're almost desensitized. Hundreds of thousands of people are dead in this country. And we're just kind of like, 
that's life right now. And I think that's so terrible. And yet we share that connection and it gives us a sense of hope. And it's it's so it's so challenging, right? And it's it's like it's kind of like that duality of even just the like the life of Jesus. We learn from the way Jesus lived, we learn from the way Jesus died, we learn from the way Jesus rose and overcame death and the grave. And we have to hold all of that, that experience of birth, that experience of life, that experience of death, that experience of resurrection. We need all of that. One last question, if people are trying to learn more about urban ministries or about you or about your church that you serve, how can they get connected? So this is bad and probably shows my age, but the best place to connect with me in all those ways is Facebook. <laughs> so, so, you know, you can find me, follow uh, our church, University Church Chicago uh, on Facebook. If you want to see the work we're doing, we, of course, have services that, that are streamed on Facebook and also available on our website. Um, you can find me there. Uh, you can find UMI there. Um, we're also on Instagram. I don't post pictures, but I watch other people's. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just don't post very often. I'm bad at that. Uh, but also you can find, if you're interested in uh, seeing me walk through Bible studies on YouTube, uh, the, one of the shows that I manage at UMI, Sunday School Made Simple to wrestle with uh, Dr. Laverne Tolbert, who is a fantastic woman um, with so many different experiences on Sunday School Passages. So you can find that there, urbanministries.com. If you do want more resources as you're thinking through how to study, what to study, uh, check out urbanministries.com. Um, so all those are different ways to find products, find me, um, find the church. So there I am, Alan Reynolds. Well, listeners, I will link all of what Alan just said in our description so that you will be able to figure out how to connect with him and how to learn more about Urban Ministries and the University Church, which is there in the Chicago area. Alan, I thank you so much for being our guest today. We've learned so much from you. Lis uh, listeners, this has been a conversation with Alan Reynolds. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cloud and Fire. You can follow Cloud and Fire on Facebook or Instagram at Cloud and Fire Pod. We are a production of First Baptist Church in Beverly, and our theme music is by the talented Rebecca Silva. When you find us online, please feel free to let us know where and how you have been experiencing the steadfast love of God. You can also subscribe to our show online and leave us a rating and a review so that others will be able to find the show. Also be sure to share this episode or whatever is your favorite episode of Cloud and Fire with a friend. Our last episode of season one is coming up next week. And so we cannot wait to share it with you. Until then, be well and get home safely.